Welcome to the Commercial Real Estate Investing from A to Z podcast. I'm your host, Steph Boldrini. This podcast is for everyone who wants to be part of our real estate family and learn commercial real estate investing from A to Z. I'll be sharing with you tips for real estate investing while being mentored by a few people with several years of experience so that you and I can make the least amount of mistakes as possible and succeed a lot faster. My goal is to keep things very straightforward because I value your time and you are here to learn. With that, in the last episode, we learned what is CMBS and what is the current state of CMBS delinquency today and what does that mean for the future. And in this episode, we are interviewing Victor Menashe. Victor is such an incredible resource and very knowledgeable. He is going to share with us what are some ways that we can think about deals in this current market. He will also talk about what is a stranded asset, and he will give us some examples of potential deals that you can start thinking about for your own investments. We are going to split this interview into two episodes because it is truly packed with a lot of information. Here we go. Victor, thank you so much for joining us today. You were here before, and I'm very, very excited to have you here again. You have so much knowledge to share. First, for those who may not know who you are yet, tell us a little bit about you. Well, great to be here, Stephanie. Well, my path into the world of real estate investing and the capital markets was not the traditional career path. I started out my career as a microprocessor designer, like yourself. I started out my career in tech. And if you've ever watched a movie on the back of a seatback display on an Airbus aircraft, that's my microprocessor in most of those displays, uh, Canon printers and Hewlett Packard storage networks and Pachinko patchy slot machines in Japan with Sammy Sega and NVIDIA and all kinds of different crazy applications all over the world. So that was some of the most fun I've had in my life. And about 2009, when I was working on a cellular network in Japan, traveling back and forth to Tokyo every couple of weeks. It was burning me out physically, emotionally. I decided to make a bit of a left turn in my career and move into the world of real estate investment and development on a full-time basis. So it was a hard left turn and rediscovered some of the skills that I had developed in the tech industry. Obviously, many of the skills are very portable, whether it's project management, leadership, raising capital, uh, all of those things carried over pretty much directly into the world of real estate investing. So entered the market at what was a moment in history that looked like the opportunity of a lifetime. Uh, little did I know that a decade later, here we are with maybe even a larger opportunity than the financial crisis that happened a decade ago. So that's uh, that's how I got here. You gave a wonderful presentation uh few weeks ago on thinking about deals during these times and at any time, actually. Why don't we start with what is a stranded asset? And then we'll jump into some examples of how people can start thinking about deals. I'd like to make a distinction in defining a stranded asset. Most of the time, especially in an environment like today, people are thinking about distressed assets. Now, in a lot of cases, those distressed assets haven't appeared on the market yet, or if they are it's really just the very beginning 
we're in the midst of a moratorium on evictions, a moratorium on foreclosures, that we know there's a backlog at this stage of millions of distressed properties. The report that I read last week showed four and a half million homes in the United States in either in default or in forbearance. Uh, and that happened literally in a very short time period. Now, if you think about the entire financial crisis that took five, six years to play out, for a total of 10 million distressed properties, we've gotten half that in just a few months. So the speed with which this market is gone into distress is unprecedented. There's a lot of money sitting on the sidelines today saying, just waiting for those distressed assets, whether it's single family homes, hotels, you name it, office buildings, retail, there's gonna be a ton of distressed assets on the market and all the money will be chasing those distressed assets. What I don't like about that is that when there's a lot of buyers and a finite number of sellers, is that's what I call the auction. You know, if there's just a single bid on a property, you can often get a good price. But if there's 10, 15, 20 bids, then almost guaranteed you're going to end up paying too much. And that's, I think, the environment that we find ourselves in today. When people are looking for a marquee hotel coming on the market at, you know, 30 cents on the dollar, 50 cents on the dollar, it's going to be a bidding war. It's going to be an auction. And I just don't like the auction environment because you're almost guaranteed to pay too much. So we'll make the distinction between a regular, normal, performing asset, which is what some people like to buy. Then there are the distressed assets, whether they're physically distressed, financially distressed, some kind of turnaround, some kind of value add play can bring those assets back to their former glory or to some new potential to some higher and best use. And that's what people are traditionally conditioned to look for in terms of a deal, if you can call it that. But there's this third category of asset that is, it's below the radar. People can't see it. It's not readily visible. And that's what's called the stranded asset. Now, the stranded asset is an asset that is a perfectly good asset. What makes it stranded is you can't get to it from here. So imagine for a moment, one of the examples that I give, there's a there's a lighthouse in Prince Edward Island called the Baywatch Lighthouse. And you can actually book this lighthouse on Airbnb. It sleeps seven, you can stay in it on, for the weekend. It's in all the tourism brochures, and that would be a wonderful income-producing asset. Now, if you take that same lighthouse and you put it out in the middle of the Atlantic, and it's a little bit stormy, and it's not very safe to get to, it might be another very good asset from the perspective that it would be great to spend the weekend there, be a unique experience, but it's stranded because you can't get to it from here, or it's difficult to get to it. It's inaccessible in some way. And that's what distinguishes a stranded asset. It's like if you were to try and find a, a Rembrandt painting at a garage sale. Nothing wrong with a Rembrandt painting. In fact, it's a wonderful painting. You just don't expect to find it at a garage sale. It's in the wrong place. It's out of position. And it's that quality that makes it stranded, not because there's anything wrong with it. It's out of position. It's in an unusual place. So I'll give you an example of something that was somewhat a distressed asset, but for, for the most part, a stranded asset. And this is actually an example from my book, Magnetic Capital. I wrote a book on how to raise all the money you need for any worthy venture. And this is a project that I worked on a, a bunch of years ago uh, where my partner and I came across a baseball stadium, a minor league baseball stadium, about an hour outside of New York City. 
what distinguished this particular stadium is called Skylands Park. It's um, about 100 yards from the New Jersey State Fair. It's 28 acres of land, 46,000 square feet of buildings, 4,200 seats, 18 luxury boxes, parking for a few thousand cars, a couple of commercial kitchens. This particular stadium was built in 1993 for $11.5 million. And about a year later, it went into bankruptcy with $26 million in debt. Don't ask me how they did that. There had to have been some funny business. Mm-hmm. And the folks who bought it, husband and wife team, took that over in 1994 and ran it up until the time that we purchased it. It was the home of the New Jersey Cardinals. It was the home of the Sussex Skyhawks. They used to set minor league attendance records. Uh, it was a great stadium. Now, the husband died. The wife knew nothing about baseball. And here was this asset, literally bleeding cash. And she just wanted to sell it, move to Florida to be close to her kids. So she handed it over to a uh, a real estate broker who threw it up on the MLS, folded his arms and waited. That is not how you market a baseball stadium. Two years into the process, they had an offer for a million five cash, which they had rejected. They had a financed offer for a million eight The financing fell through. Two years in, they're starting to get desperate. So we offered them 950,000 cash, which they accepted. Now, this particular stadium has an asset on it called a cell tower. What's a cell tower? It's an easement. It's a right to hang a cellular antenna up on a pole, and you can charge rent to the cellular carriers in exchange for that. And that asset typically trades in the open market at about a 7% cap rate. So this cell tower had revenue from Verizon, Sprint, and T-Mobile, a tune of about 50000 a year in revenue and rent coming in. So if you do the math on that, take $50,000 and divide that by 0.07, you get a number that's a little over $700,000. So the cell tower alone was worth over $700,000. If we were to sell the cell tower independently, we could get our cost basis on the stadium down to $250,000. You take 950, subtract 700, and you're down to 250. So we could buy a stadium for less than the cost of a one-bedroom condo in most communities. And that's exactly what we did. But even before we closed, we went in search for someone who would actually want to own a baseball stadium. Started talking to former major league players. Do you want to run a training camp? We had all kinds of crazy ideas. Do you want to do a drive-in movie theater and because there's parking for a couple thousand cars, all kinds of different things we looked at. And before we even took possession of the stadium, we found a guy who maybe would want to buy the stadium. He said, look, I'm trying to restart a new minor league. I need eight stadiums as a minimum, so you're one-eighth of my problem. If I can get the rest of the stadiums together, I'll buy it. We said, okay, how about we give you a right of first refusal? So he said, okay. What would you like for the right of first refusal? We said, how about 250000 He said, okay, no problem, but I want interest on that 250000 <laughs> Wow. <laughs> so we said, okay, <laughs> how much interest would you like? He said, 8%. We said, done. So for the cost of 8% of $250,000, we bought a minor league baseball stadium. Brilliant. We sold the stadium with that stranded asset. Uh, sorry, we sold the cell tower as a stranded asset on closing day and got our cost basis down to 250 grand. It was another stranded asset that was a liquor license that was valued at 130,000. 
So you can see these are things that are attached. There's nothing wrong with a liquor license, but you don't expect to find a saleable liquor license in a derelict baseball stadium in central New Jersey. That's what makes it stranded. And these types of things are all over the place. You've got to know where to look. And so today's discussion is about altering your thinking, altering the way that you look at the world so that you start to see these stranded assets because they're everywhere. They're all over the place. Wow. I love this story. And I would love to understand how you go about thinking about deals like this. There are deals everywhere, right? And then how do you process each property that comes to you? How do you go about thinking and seeing what the possible outcomes and the possible upsides are? Let me give you a couple more examples, just so we can kind of solidify the idea. So we know right now that in the pandemic environment, not a lot of people are eating in restaurants, but you got to ask the question, why would you eat out in a restaurant to begin with? In my view, there's three principal reasons why people eat out in a restaurant. Number one, it might be to celebrate an event, maybe a birthday, maybe an anniversary. It might be for some social purpose, maybe to go out on a date with your significant other. Mm -hmm. And then the third, which is increasingly common, is, and this happens, you know, my wife and I sometimes, you know, on a Wednesday night, middle of the week at seven o'clock, we've still been working up until that hour, we look at each other and we say, you know what? We're both too tired to cook. Yeah. Right? So we would go to a restaurant. Not for any particular reason, we were just too tired to cook. And today in the pandemic environment, that is satisfied by takeout traffic. Most people aren't going to, you know, some people will order takeout to celebrate an anniversary, but that's not quite the same experience. But an increasing amount of the restaurant business is satisfying that third need or a significant chunk of it. Now we know that there's a lot of restaurants out there that are shutting down because they've gone through several months now with no revenue or insufficient revenue. In some cases, the owners are simply tired. I've come across several restaurants just in my own home community where the owner, there's no reason for them to shut down other than the owner is 75 years old and he doesn't want to go through the energy of restarting again. Tired owner syndrome is real. So now you've got a kitchen that there's going to be a lot of commercial kitchens for sale. Those are maybe distressed assets. Maybe they just shut down because they decided they're getting out of the business. Those aren't distressed assets. They're just stranded assets. But there's an even more important stranded asset. And that is the relationship between the customer and the menu. So if their favorite item is let's say the lamb bolognese sauce and only that restaurant has a lamb bolognese sauce and that restaurant is closing down where are you going to get that meal so the stranded asset is that menu item there's one restaurant that i know about that on their website you click on the button they say sorry we're closed they put their cookbook you can buy the cookbook for 30 bucks well that's not a great legacy for that restaurant to buy the cookbook for 30 bucks what if you could set up a commercial kitchen in an industrial location instead of at $45 a square foot triple net in a retail location? What if you could put that in an industrial location with good freeway access at $8 a square foot? And now you consolidate the menus of six, eight, ten restaurants that have gone out of business out of that one commercial kitchen and you run a delivery service. 
You can pick up the kitchen for pennies on the dollar because there's lots of them for sale right now. And the stranded asset is that relationship between the customer and the menu. And maybe you give the guy who owned the restaurant with the lamb bolognese sauce, you give him a little bit of a royalty. So every time someone orders that menu item, he makes a few nickels. These opportunities to create business, to generate business, are all over the place if you choose to look. And when you say you can pick up the kitchen, you mean the equipment Absolutely. from the kitchen and put in the industrial building? Correct. Okay. Correct. This interview will be continued next week for the second half. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you haven't already subscribed to our super concise and straightforward newsletter, make sure to subscribe at montecarlorei.com at the top of the page. The link is also under show notes, as well as Victor's information. And I will see you next time.